Welcome to the One Size Does Not Fit All podcast. I'm Kat Vitu, the founder of the World Life Tribe, and I co-host this show with the lovely Liberty. And together we meet the most inspiring people that are here to give you tools to live a life where you will thrive. Bon Raw makes it easy for you to sweeten naturally with minimum effort and zero compromise with their delicious range of raw and unrefined organic sugars. Bon Raw is better for you and the planet. Find Bon Raw's silver birch, panela and coconut blossom at Waitrose. Hi and welcome to our podcast, One Size Does Not Fit All. It's me again, Liberty, and I'm joined by Kat. Hi Kat. Hi Liberty, how are you? I'm okay, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I've got, I've had a really funny week actually. Well, funny as in just really busy. Not funny. Yeah, funny, not funny, funny in lockdown. No, busy, not busy, but a week of discovering that I do need some boundaries. I've just been really tired. And I think sometimes I think I could do everything. And then I crash and fall on my face and realize that that isn't the case. Um, so, but I've learned my lesson and I'm standing back up again. But yeah, yeah, no, it's good. I think I think I was saying to you, so I obviously been working full time at the moment. And then I decided, I thought about four weeks ago, it would be a really good idea to sign up to this mastermind course, which I have to show up to eight till nine every night for five days in a row. Oh, that's your bedtime. That's my bedtime. What was I thinking? And actually, I, I did it. I turned up once out of five days which is really terrible um but I just I don't think the universe wanted me to turn up either if I'm honest because I did it one night and then the second night I think my dog (laughs) is true my dog had a little accident in the garden I had to take it to the vet so by the time I came back I'd missed the second one and then the third I don't know it just every night something was just happening and I was like the universe doesn't want me to do it. I don't want to do it. Why didn't I just say no? It wasn't meant to be. No, but it was good and I've learned my lesson. So, you know, that's all good. Well, sometimes it's hard to take your own advice. You're so good at helping everybody else to uh, sort their life out. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself. To yeah, it's great, isn't it? All the people that I coach are listening to this now and they're like, we're not going <laughs> to hire her anymore. She talks rather <laughs> shit. <laughs> You've got Uh, so much going on, though. So much going on. Yeah, I think because we're moving house in like 12 days time, (laughs) I I forget how much of an impact that is. And actually, because it's COVID, I'm having to pack everything and throw away a lot of stuff. And I'm just surrounded by boxes. And I'm in a room now which doesn't have any boxes, so I'm happy in here. But like everywhere else I turn, just it looks like a pile of rubbish. So I'm just like, oh, oh my God. God. But it's good. It's good. And I'm going to be happy when we move. So I'm happy about that. Oh, yeah. Good times are coming. Yeah, hopefully. What about you? What have you been up to? Mm, we, uh, we got a new bath. I haven't had a bath for 18 months. I have had a shower. <laughs> But um, we had we had um, we had our bathroom ripped apart, and um, they took the bath, and then lockdown came, and then we didn't have a floor, so they couldn't put anything in until the floor went in, and then blah 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 blah, boring. And then this week, um, two pe- two plumbers came, and when they left, there, there was a nice big bath. There. So I had a bath yesterday. Are you having a bath every day or are you just having the one bath? Yeah, I've had a shower this morning and I'm going to have a bath tonight. (laughs) Except Maggie keeps trying to get in with me with bath bombs and I'm not into those. No, because you're left with a body full of glitter. um, Yeah, literally. And they stay in the side. How's your homeschooling going? Yes, fine, thank you. Um, How's yours? (laughs) It's actually all right. We're kind of in a, we're in a groove now, I think. Um, But interestingly enough, we had a few listeners write into us, which I thought was really, uh, well, first of all, I thought it was really good we had listeners. I was like, whoop, whoop. (laughs) But, But they wrote in and asked if we could maybe cover the subject about teens actually um Mm -hmm. and interesting actually the people who wrote in were mostly talking about girl teens saying that um their daughters were struggling um they didn't really know what to do do we know any experts um could we perhaps cover it in a conversation um and it was interesting because it was three in one week um one of them was had a daughter who was really struggling to kind of just get up and have any vibe to do anything 
And then the second one was she's got a son and she's like, she couldn't believe the difference between the son and the daughter. And the son was just really, you know, like out there. I think because he's gaming or whatever he was doing, he was managing 60, didn't seem to find it a problem. But the daughter was sort of struggling. And actually the mum was having to kind of give up work and kind of she was sort of saying that, you know, what could she do? Could we speak to anybody? So I think, you know, I don't have a teenager yet. I'm nearly there. We're 12. Mm. Um, mm. But I said to them that we would, so I would find somebody amazing who I know, who I don't know to meet, but certainly who I would go to um, for this kind of advice, really. Um, you found the most amazing guest. I was so nervous um, that I've actually put some makeup on and done my hair because... <laughs> When you announced that we were having this guest, I was just like, oh, my God. Um, we have got Tanith Carey with us today, who's an amazing author. Tanith, welcome. Hi. Hi to you both. Lovely to see you. You too. Um, I'm, so, I'm, I'm speechless because I'm so excited and there are so many things that we want to talk to you about. And you've written so much amazing stuff. And um, there's just so much to cover. I don't even know where to start, but um, you've got kids of your own, but a lot of this is based on a lot of your kind of uh, inspiration for this was your, your own childhood. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's, it's all around us, isn't it? It's everywhere. If you have kids, if you were a kid, everyone has some kind of experience in this. So how did, how did you come to, to uh, this subject matter? Because parenting, is, is your thing, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. So um, I had a very, um, quite a difficult childhood. I mean, I won't say it was not privileged, but emotionally it was quite, uh, I was torn in two different places, between two parents. Mm. They had a lot of issues themselves. Um, my father moved to Australia, my mother moved to New York. I was caught in this kind of power struggle. They both had partners and it was just, I, um, I uh, struggled with that and uh, but I don't know I just kind of also wanted to work through that and um, and I was determined that when I had my own children um, they were going to have a much better emotionally healthy much healthier uh, childhood than I did so um, I was a newspaper journalist originally and obviously the great thing about being a journalist is that you get to talk you have this incredible sort of shortcut to speak to sort of the top people um, and and, and when I had, you know, the top experts and, and when I had my first uh, daughter, Lily, um, she's now 19, um, I basically wrote about what I needed to learn. And, and I found the experts who could sort of take my understanding of parenting further. And what I really also wanted to do was to explore how my experience as a child might be uh, affecting how I thought I should parent my child. And then but basically come to my child with a blank slate, having tried to sort out as many issues as I could so that I could give her, you know, she was a fresh soul, you know, coming to me from the universe. She didn't need my shit sort of projected onto her. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so um, a lot of that uh, of my of my parenting books have been about that and how to kind of, you know, take the child as the individual, the unique individual they come to us as and work with what they are and appreciate their uniqueness and their spark and their individual talents rather than impose a lot of ideas or preconceived values um, from previous generations, you know, not just from our, our parents, but also, you know, the stuff can go back to, you know, grandparents, you know what I mean? And and just clear that and just and just start afresh so they could be the people they were meant to be. That's something I think everybody fears. I mean, everybody jokes that, oh my God, you know, I don't want to don't want to be like, you hear people saying, oh, I don't want to be like my mum, however their mum was or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that that can be actually, like you say, kind of an innate thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not such an easy cycle to break, is it? I guess all the time you're a child, you're learning, aren't you? Is it by seven that you're, you're sort of, you're, you're formed in your, yeah. the person that you will be, you're, you're, you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, seven, I mean, they say, you know, you know, there is a lot, but I mean, there's a lot in the tween years that having received the values, you've, you've seen a lot of role modelling by your parents. And then in the tween years, you are getting ready for, you are forming a sense of identity. So it's not completely over over by seven. And then the teen years are a period of, of experimentation, what works, what isn't working, and then breaking away from the tribe into which you've been brought up. 
Um, so, I mean, I think in every, in every, it depends on your relationship with your parents. I mean, people will take from their childhood, they will cherry pick the things that they think was, were good and they want to repeat and they will reject the things they think they were bad. I mean, it, I mean, people have different levels of what they want to take and what they want to reject. I mean, in my case, I guess in some ways I was quite lucky because I, I, there was nothing really that I wanted to continue that much, although unconsciously maybe there was some things. I mean, for example, I wrote Taming the Tiger Parent and I guess I'd, I'd been quite an academic child at school and my father had been quite academic and, and I was also, but I, I received ch children whose interests didn't lie particularly in that. So then I, I had to create a period of learning in which I learned to relinquish my ideas of what my, I thought my child should be. So, I mean, it's been a kind of a moving, it, a work in progress, but because I think I have, I mean, obviously it's difficult, but I think what we need to do is become aware of triggers. You know, if we become very triggered by certain situations, I mean, I remember like when we were, when Lily was uh, four and we were trying to do that track of that North London track of trying to get into the school. And, mm. you know, I guess what I should have realized was I was getting emotionally pent up. Where was this stress coming from? You know what I mean? And then I, I, I learned quite quickly, or I was, I was ready, I was ready and open to the fact that actually what the path I was pursuing wasn't necessarily the best thing for her. Do you see what I mean? So I think, yeah. it's like, yes, it's not difficult, but if you're aware of what's triggering you, then that's a really, really good first step. Yeah, so so many people are influenced by this external yeah. force of our UK education system, aren't they? So if you're trying to get a child into, uh, Kat and I have just been in our sons are a similar age. My son's a year above, but he did his 11 plus two years ago and is in his second year of secondary now. And it, it was potentially damaging because I was getting cross about stuff that yeah. retrospectively, who gives a shit? You know, I didn't, mm. it was not my concern and, and I would have been happy wherever he'd ended up, but I fell into that, yeah. you know, that, that belief system that that's what would make him worthy um, by getting those results or getting that letter. And it just, it's a horrible, you bring out, you see a really ugly side of yourself when mm. you fall into that trap. But that's kind of yeah. how we quantify that in this country. When I look at other educational systems, yeah. I think it's such a shame. That, so that, that I think you're so right. We so need to step away from this. I mean, mm. as parental generation, we've been completely panicked. Um, so what's happened is, I mean, I, I talk about this in time with Taming the Tiger Parent. It's been a kind of a, a change in the zeitgeist. So like, you know, when I was, you know, I remember I, I was looking back at my first report I got in 1972 and it was like, just said, oh, Tanith reads very well for her age. But my mother at that point wouldn't have taken credit for my achievements. But we're now in this idea where we are, we believe that we create our children's success, that if we push them hard enough, they'll get the grades, the grades, and that's the start of a kind of a domino tipping. You know, they'll get the right university, they'll get the right job, you know what I mean? We're on this very kind of very restricted linear path, which is not actually that, which is not good for our children's well-being. you know? Mm. And I think we have a very, very, um, quite an oppressive system in this country. I mean, for one thing, our children are the most publicly tested um, children in the world. Yeah, that's a terrible statistic. I hate that statistic so much. It's unbelievable, you know, and that's the amazing. mental health. Oh yeah, I know. And the mental health toll that takes. I mean, GCSEs. I mean, no other children in any anywhere, not not even not in China, not in the Far East, are tested on that many subjects to that degree of depth in a public way. And, you know, and then what, what's happened is we're creating like, and uh, the other thing that happened is the, the pressure from the government. I mean, what happened in about uh, the 2000 was the introduction of the um, international assessment test, which basically pitted countries against each other. Yeah. And when it was found that British 15 year olds were coming lower down or quite, quite coming quite low, low down that chart, there was this massive push by the government to make these exams far more rigorous far more testing um, because they were worried about the economic uh, future. Like they wanted to turn, they want, they want basically they need our children to be sort of economic foot soldiers in the system. Right. But you can't compare like people, children growing up in the UK to children growing up in other cultures like Shanghai, which they were comparing. It's a totally different family system. It's a totally different set of expectations. I mean, the Chinese would be the first to say that they that we have a much more creative approach to life. And that is actually what the Chinese system actually wants now to emulate. But while they while they realize this is no good for their for their economy, we are trying to emulate emulate kind of cram schools in Shanghai. Yeah. You know, I mean it's no wonder that our children are suffering, you know, the worst mental health crisis that we are aware of. I mean, I just 
it's just it's like a perfect storm our children are caught causing and I strongly believe that this very very testing education system where they're you know they don't get nines they don't get they're just they become they internalize these ideas that they're somehow failures but I mean we need more than kids being pushed through a cookie cutter one fits all education system to become sort of professionals that we you know this country has too many too many kind of lawyers and you know too many of those really white collar we need creative individuals we need people who can work with our hands we need to appreciate the many different types of intelligence because at the moment what this system does it's only valuing one very narrow type of intelligence so how does that make the rest of the children who don't fit that template feel it's absolutely ridiculous. i did it i know i've mentioned this before on the podcast but um a, f- a year ago or so i did a teen parenting um course at my brother at my brother at my son's school and uh the lady who did it said that she was a, a psychologist but she said that er- almost everyone who worked for her um was dyslexic and she said that wasn't intentional but the people who are dyslexic have such strong coping mechanisms to mm-hmm. uh you know problem solve in order to work with their um way of learning and you know uh their perception of of the world and their struggle through an education system that usually doesn't suit them that they end up being the most incredible people in with interpersonal skills that just can't be matched so she said it was really interesting that that's Mm -hmm. actually how things had turned out within her company Mm -hmm. and then another mother said she said, this is what, exactly as you said, she said, this is what the world needs. We need more and more people with these fantastic interpersonal skills. These skills, you know, teaching kids to do whatever according to a syllabus is not what is not what employees are looking for. And another mother said, so why, so why, why are we teaching this then? Why would they be teaching this? And she said, well, exactly. You chose the school. You chose yeah. this system. Yeah. And I was like, you know, it, 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 it blew my mind. Yeah. Um, but you Definitely. just sort of get sucked in, don't you? And it, it, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Interestingly, my daughter is really struggles with school and um, goes to a dyslexic school. And she has that kind of personality where I worry about her less than I worry about my son, who's very academic. And mm-hmm. But he's the real, oh, if I don't get this right, if I don't do this mm-hmm. properly. Whereas she's just like, oh, you know, la, 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 la. Very out there, very creative, very relaxed. But he is just like a ball of stress. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting what you say. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's very scary to think that we are almost, you know, ticking along to God knows what. Yeah, our kids are at the bottom of the system. I mean, another thing that affected that, I think what you're saying also is that um, one summer, I think it was about 25 years ago, a Daily Telegraph journalist was didn't have anything to write about because it was a silly season. So he decided to ask um, schools what their uh, results were. And then he put them in league tables. So then what we've got now then are like a lot of schools competing to stay on top of these league league tables, um, finding children who um, don't meet these standards or are going to reduce their places in in these league tables as as, as an inconvenience, kind of guiding them out. You know, so basically they can stay afloat. So this is all artificially constructed, you know. I mean, mm. um, I think the latest research is there's like there's something like 13 different types of intelligence. But these exams, as I said just now, they only value a very small number of those intelligences. And it's not like how intelligent are you, but how it's how are you intelligent, as Sir Ken Robinson said. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. I think one thing I really, really hope comes out of lockdown is that we start to um, unravel this really rigid system of education and see that it doesn't necessar- necessarily work. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to unravel it because our children are in a terrible place. I mean, you know, you just have to look at the statistics, you know, the, the amount of referrals to child and adolescent mental health services, yeah. the amount of harm. Um, because it's all compounded also on in the kind of the comparison culture of social media. Yeah. I mean, I'm so, so thankful that, I mean, I'm 52 now that, I mean, if I had social media when I was the age that, I mean, I, when I was 13, I would have been a complete mess. Yeah. No? Yeah, it's, no, that would completely ruin my life, actually, if I had social media. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we, Kat? Just saying, um, well, basically, one of the things that you said was um, that the 
kind of teen situation where teens are in inverted commas rude are exactly a vital and necessary stage in their development and um something that i've kind of been pushing against my son's in the house all the time he's he's 13 in, in august and he's really rude but equally i was saying to cat he's got all these awful kind of influences around him all the time and i said mm-hmm. i was out like going to roller discos <laughs> and probably like playing with Barbies and Sylvanian families with my sister. And just if I had had any of this stuff, I would have been mm-hmm. all over it, just like you say. And I really, the things I got up to when I was older, I, I would have been ruined. I certainly couldn't work for the Well Life Drive. I mean, I wasn't like, I wasn't like a porn star or anything like that. But um, <laughs> um, I, um, I, um, I feel so bad for them that it's in, you know, it's in this house, it's on the train, it's it's everywhere you go, it's changing sex, it's changing everything for them. Their whole concept of the world is, is so messed up. But then when something goes wrong, I'm like, right, you can't have your phone or whatever it may be. Or if he's very rude, I'm like, well, there must be something wrong with him. But what you've said is that that's a natural stage mm. and then becoming mm. a rite of passage. Is that is that true? Because that's revelationary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's really hard in the moment when your child is screaming at you and saying he hates you and you're this and you're that. It's really mm. hard to process. I mean, there's only one way out of that and that is not to push back, but just to say, okay, I see you're angry can we talk about this in a more constructive way when you've calmed down? Because th- there is nothing to be gained by pushing back, back in that moment. So you you have to realise that actually, you know, you just have to step away. And, and that that is not a resignation. It's not a failure. It's just that he's not going to hear anything you're saying if his amygdala is completely aroused and, you know, he's in a state of complete, you know, excitement. Do you know what I mean? So that's the first thing. Um, I mean, what I do in What's My Child Thinking is, you know, we are much more aware of the stages of development of young children, um, you know, in babyhood particularly, and then the toddler years and then preschool years. But we don't really look at that in the same way in teenagers, and we actually do. And, and what's really interesting about what's my teenager thinking is we don't just group teenagers in all together, which is what people tend to do, but we look at early, early adolescence, mid-adolescence and late adolescence. So how old is your son? He's uh, 12 at the moment. It's 13 in August. Yeah, so exactly. So he's in a he's in a in a in a a developmental phase in which he's starting to take you off the pedestal that he put you on as say an eight year old and a nine year old. Okay, <laughs> I'm good crying as I hear this. <laughs> <laughs> but then you know, if we look at that from a developmental point of view, he actually needs to do that. That mm. is start of the process of him breaking away from the from the tribe that his his family and finding his own identity and his own tribe. So although it's really difficult in the moment, I'm not going to deny it, it just really helps to see it in that way. I mean, in the same way that maybe you were more forgiving when he had a tantrum because you saw it as a way that he was trying to sort of, he couldn't express himself, he couldn't marshal his emotions. It's just the same thing, but it's scaled up. And obviously it's not as cute because <laughs> he's probably <laughs> as big as you now, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's what I try to do in, the, in that, that's my, t- what's my teacher. It's like all these really difficult phases that we tend to sort of dread and fear, you know, like risk taking, um, rudeness, rebellion, uh, disobedience, all that kind of stuff. It is all necessary to them becoming an individual, an adult individual. And it, and they're all phases and all these phases will pass. It's interesting, actually, as you're saying that, I was thinking that um, even when I see my parents, so my child, they still kind of thought of me as a child, even when I was 40 something, you know, like, and I went back into that role. But I think it's because in their mind, we didn't, I didn't transition from child to adults. Mm -hmm. And that's the bit that didn't recognise. But when you say that, I think it's almost like an eye opener of being mindful that they are transitioning and changing from a child to an adult. And actually, you do have to um, go along with how you see them, really, Mm. don't you? Whereas I think a lot of parents, and I'm not saying now, but certainly generational parents didn't do that with their children. It didn't matter how old you got. You were still a child Mm. in their eyes. And that's why a lot of adults have issues with their parents, because they still talk to them like children. Yeah. I mean, one of the key uh, deciders and how well you end up getting on with your parents and I, I don't know I'm not talking about you I don't know your relationship with your parents but it's the level of criticism so children who feel intensely criticized 
you know, they that really corrodes the relationship. And it's something that I think um, in the present time when we're a very panicky parental generation, we tend to think that we need to make loads of constructive suggestions. But to the highly sensitive ears of an adolescent, that comes across, across as criticism. And then what teenagers tend to do is they don't go, oh, yeah, mum's right. Oh, yeah, if I do this, this will happen. They don't think like that. They um, tend to sort of try and shield themselves from the pain of disappointing you. And then they go into themselves. So one of the things I talk about a lot in What's My Teenager Thinking is be really mindful of how your words are being heard and whether or not you really need to say the stuff. Because most of the time, I think what we've forgotten about with teenagers is they are actually much more sorted than we realise. I mean, they've been your child for 12 years. You've loved them. You've nurtured them. You've given them everything. And they've also watched you and they know values. They've learned values from school. They know it's not good to lie. They know they should work hard. They already know this stuff, you know. Mm. But the more we get into interfering with this and telling them stuff they already know, and then we start to triangulate. So say we start to get involved in the fact that they're not like working really hard. Um, so what we do is we take away their internal motivation. They start to think that we want them to do well. They stop wanting to do well for themselves. And then and then as an act of, because teenagers don't have that much power, as an act of passive ag- aggressive resistance, they stop trying. Although some of them do, some of them don't, but so there's broad groups. But, you know, we have to be so careful. And I, I think that, you know, when I was brought, I mean, one of the great things in a way, I mean, I was neglected in some ways emotionally, but in some ways I was also left to get on with it. And one of my great survival techniques was to work hard. And that was the way I protected myself. But, you know, my mother didn't get involved in that. That was something I wanted to do for myself. Now, and I found if I try and get involved in my children's school work, they're like, you know, the more I get involved, the less they want to do. So so we just have (laughs) to trust that they know more than we think. because We're always panicking about them. That's one thing that's happened in this generation, you know, and we need to understand, to listen more, criticize less, and understand that these are all necessary steps towards a greater good. So yeah, I'm really a one for the big picture with with teens. But I know it's hard when they're screaming at you. It's difficult. I mean, you know, it's difficult. I think in lockdown <laughs> as well, people are like like the messages we got. Um, they're finding that you know, like it's everything's obviously really magnified. Um, we're around each other an awful lot. Um, and I, I felt like the messages were a bit of worry, you know, like people were worried that they were kind of going into themselves a little bit or maybe losing a bit of drive. But I guess if you're not free to go out because, like you say, you are sort of breaking away from the family tribe to go to your to build your own tribe yeah, and you can't do that in lockdown, they, they're going to react like this, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, they are. They feel completely out of control. They have no control over their lives. They even let. They're supposed to be finding independence. And what are we doing? We're putting them in the family house, contrary to what their development needs. So we really need to be sort of empathetic about that and understand they are going to be really, really kind of really pushed back. I mean, we're 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 the only people that they can safely express their anger to. I mean, in one way, it's an incredible uh, compliment if they express their anger to you because they know that you're safe to receive that anger and that you you love them so much that you will forgive them whatever they say to you. So I think it's really important. If they're not saying they hate you from time to time or you're the worst mother in the world, actually, and they're too frightened to express that, that's actually when you have to to worry. I feel like I'm winning at this now then. (laughs) (laughs) I've won it. I think, um, yeah, and I have that kind of relationship with my son, actually. My daughter's quite a bit younger. Um, But in terms of, I've got a 14-year-old niece, actually, and she's, um, and going back to the school system, it was funny because I was talking to my sister the other day and she was like, oh, you know, she's getting on with the work, but the school are really cross because she's not turning up on time for her lessons because she's sleeping in later and she's not following the timetable. But Actually, she's, my sister was like, I don't want to have a go at her because she's delivering the work. So what's the problem? Yeah. You know, yeah. but, but it is a problem to the school because she's not sticking to the system. And this is what the issue is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's we're, we're expecting them to stick to this confine because this is the track that we think they should be on. But really, sort of, it's it's mental equilibrium, not perfect marks, should be the, our real measure of how successful we have been as parents in lockdown. I mean, if our kids are coming out still feeling okay, still wanting to learn, still feeling fairly good about themselves, you know, that, and, you know, in a, 
they're all in the same boat. You know, this generation is going to be remembered as the COVID generation. And I think in a couple of years, people won't remember these GCSEs. You know, we're, mm. we've just been panicked by the system. And yeah. for, the, for the, the good of our, our children, we have to stand up to this system. Yeah. But nothing else but a revolution is, I think, I, I sounds radical, but I am so worried about these children's mental health, so worried that I just think, you know, we don't need to be doing this stuff anymore. We need to show them there are other options. Yeah. You know, there has never been a generation that's going to need to be more creative, more mentally resilient, more mentally tougher than this one. And if we just keep saying, oh, well, you know, what about your maths GCSE? What about your science GCSE? I mean, yeah, you know. And we, we don't want to drive out their love of learning and their curiosity, which is what, what happens when you teach adolescents to the test. All they are doing, they're not really learning any science. They're just learning to pass exams. Yeah. And how much of that are they really taking in? Because it's all kind of crashed into a moment, isn't it? And then they kind of have to do this test and then it's, that's it. It's yeah, all over. Exactly. Yeah. Short term, short tests, forgotten. Quickly, quickly learned, quickly forgotten. I mean, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I actually changed my daughter's school for a reason of, I felt like, you know, she was this round shape trying to fit into a square peg, actually. Um, and I felt like her confidence, not to do with the school, just, well, to do with the school, but, you know, like, but the school that I've kind of moved her to, which is actually Liberty's old school, which is much more of a free I don't know, hippie <laughs> school, whatever, you know, she just has that massive change has thrived. I mean, this yeah. week on her homeschooling, it's, it's wellbeing week, you know, mm. and each day they're doing something to do with wellbeing. And for me, that was like, this is the best change I've actually made for her. Yeah. I mean, um, maybe if you'd, you'd, you'd catch her in that other school, her confidence would have gone down. She would have self-labeled. She would have internalized those labels. Those labels would have turned into self-critical voices, which would have been very difficult to shift. Yeah. I know, and I know you're coming from. I did the same thing with my with both my children when those schools weren't working for them. I said, like, well, what, I need to take them to a school which is going to value what they're actually good at, mm. not what the system thinks they should be good at. And then, you know, one of the things I talk about in my books is the concept of spark. And I mean, this sounds a bit idealistic, but it actually works. So that that is the idea that every child has something that they are naturally drawn to. Um, if they're not interfered with, with by adults, they would do it anyway because they find it easier and more satisfying to do. Now, every child has this and it could be anything. It could be caring for animals. It could be talking. It could be kind of just like, you know, giving advice. It could be just music. It could be drawing. But it's something that if they were left alone, they would do. OK, so if you find out quite spot quite early what this spark is and you help them reach the reach their potential and their confidence grows and that confidence cross promotes into other areas of their life, you know, it can be life changing. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to be an artist or, you know, make models, but it means that, you know, even if you have a job, you have something outside your work, which you find fulfilling, you know, and it worked for me and my, and my children. I, I, I applied that to them and it's, I mean, I mean, it has worked really well for them, you know, but trying to keep them academic as academics didn't work, you know, so they're both, you know, violin players. And now that sounds, that's what they are just good at do you know what I mean yeah I yeah enable them to do that so you know one of you know I won't go too much because it sounds it's starting to sound tiger mother but no it's not tiger mother it's just basically find out what your child is good at and then give them the potential to to to, to get as good as that as they can and it can back that that's what we should be prioritizing you know Mm. yeah I think that's um I, I like the sound of that and I think it's really hard though uh, it's not really hard like I'm leaning towards that way um I've got two uh, the funny thing is I offered my son to go to the same school as her and he flat refused me uh, I was like you could take your BMX to school every day there is no uniform you called your teacher Rosemary you know like get with the program and he was like nope and I was like why not and he was like uh no, that just doesn't sound right to me. And he was telling me he likes to be in uniform. He likes to do it. And I was like, that's fine that that suits you. But, but I, I truly think if he did sort of take the step there, he would feel a bit freer because maybe he's a bit like his dad. I didn't say that. But like, it's the structure, you know, like he, he has to have the structure. It's, it's kind of different personalities, isn't it? Almost. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't send my children, I never sent my children to the same schools because they're just individuals, you know. So yeah. What's, it's so much has to be about what suits the child and, and, and the right fit. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, it is. And I think just trying not to make them 
a version of what you're saying, like from your kind of childhood as well. Um, in terms of the teen thing then, um, so you, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we had a couple of people kind of write in and um, managing kind of, we've already kind of touched on a bit of it, but touching on a bit for kind of teen girls, you know, without kind of pressuring them, you know, what advice would you give in terms of just how to sort of take it at the moment, how to approach them? Because I think what these mothers were saying is that, you know, they were worried about them being in their room and then they tried to obviously encourage them to kind of come out. But at the same time, what is a way to communicate well with them? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the real dangers of this lockdown has been rumination on phones. Because yeah. what I'm seeing is that um, teens left on their own with phones on their own, often into sort of like the early hours, they don't have their friends to bounce things off. They don't have real world interactions. I mean, it might be sort of screen time, but um, they don't have their friends to just charge to. So what they're doing is they're really comparing themselves to what they see on social media and they're always coming up short. So I'm seeing a lot of self-criticism and not much perspective that they're getting because they don't have their friends to bounced off so I'm not being articulate but you know what I mean so I'm yeah. getting a lot of kind of, sort of body issues a lot of kids um, feeling that they've got to kind of go on like um, you know dieting challenges lockdown dieting challenges that kind of stuff so I think that we really have to help them understand how phones might be or screens might be making them feel and if they and to spot signs if they're starting to disappear down that rabbit hole where they're looking at you know 500 pictures of themselves taken over the last two years and trying to go oh look how ugly I look in that look how ugly I look in this picture it's just it's almost to try and get a reflex to pivot either if it's like to come and talk to you put the phone away do something else but just to recognize when it's starting to make you feel really crap do you know what I mean and that actually yeah. can be fun it's all about a sort of level of self-awareness now in terms of getting kids out of bedrooms I think that some one of the reasons that children go into their bedrooms is they do unfortunately often feel criticized and, and as I said, when they feel criticised, they tend to go into themselves as a sort of self-protective mechanism. So, and I, I think that if they feel that when they come out of their room, you're asking them questions about that, you have expectations of what they should have achieved, or you're grilling them, or you're asking them uh, questions with an agenda, like, have you done this? Have you done that? Your science homework and all the rest. Then they, again, they'll tend to tend to, to, to sort of to protect themselves. So I, I think it's really important. I mean, it's kind of a cliche now, but like, Children and teenagers really do spell love, T-I-M-E, which is time. And we tend to think as they're older teens that they don't want to spend time with us, but they actually do. But they just don't, sometimes they're just protecting themselves. So I think, you know, to get them out, we say, I want to spend some time with you. What would you like to do? Spend some time with it on their terms, without qualification, without expectation, without condition, and just be, be with them, you know what I mean? And just enjoy spending time with them and so that they want to come out and they want to spend time with you and I think that's really really important and let them do mm. activity whether it's baking going for a walk going for a coffee and this is, it sounds basic stuff but it's, it's like if you're losing your connection with your teenagers it's really important to put some love bombing in place I don't know if you do you know about that no, no. it's a concept which is very effective which if you if you've lost your connection connection with your with your, your team it's likely that they've got a lot of cortisol and stress around you so you need to lower those cortisol levels so that you you kind of return to that level of intimacy and trust that you had with them when they were very young children and that is by basically you can't you say i want to spend time with you as i say what would you like to do you let them be in charge actually and they, and they won't ask for ridiculous things, you know what I mean? They just want to kind of, and 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 once they start feeling more relaxed about around you, and then the conversation starts to flow a bit. So I think that if if you if you find yourself in lockdown saying complaining about your teen a lot, saying they're difficult, pain in the neck, it's all their fault, you know, it's a real sign that you have to do something remedial because yeah. it, particularly now you don't want to be disconnected from your teenagers. They they really do need you, mm. and they need to stay connected to you. So I, I think that if, if those thoughts are going through your head, it's time to sort of do something to, to, to get close again. Yeah, no, that's really good advice, actually. I think sometimes we take it really personally when they kind of come at us with a reaction and we all just like, right, she's being an ass. that's it. I don't want to talk, you know. But actually, yeah. you're absolutely right. We are the grown-ups, actually. Yeah. We've got to take that responsibility, haven't we? And just go, because I know that I sometimes get a loggerhead with my son and it's ridiculous, but actually... 
I have taken a bit of this advice because I, I, I think the time that I first met you, I was looking for something because I was reacting badly to his gaming and stuff. But I've kind of taken that advice and instead of because I was just like, he's just being an ass, he hates me. Da, 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 da. And it was all a bit me, 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 you know, I'm like, you know, I'm the one being wounded in this. But actually, it was just like, actually, I need to get inside his head. I need to yeah. understand what he's thinking. Um you know all the things I think he gives a toss about he doesn't he gives a toss about this instead you know um so that that actually I think I wouldn't have discovered that unless we were in lockdown so that has been a really good kind of rolling journey and actually he's been really good and actually what you were saying about getting to do other stuff I did say to him I was like okay Uh, I was like who's who wants to take a turn for lunch and you know he was like yeah I do I'll make everybody lunch and I was like oh you want to want to take my role and make lunch (laughs) It was a funny lunch. I mean, he turned out, he put crackers out, which were like so dry. It's like, but it was just like with all these bits of cheese on it. We were like, this is really nice. But it was the gesture, you know, we're like, this is so nice. And we're like, get me a drink. But it was really sweet, like the way he kind of did it. So I get that. And I think that is a really nice thing to do. And I think also just, this is just not the time to worry about what the future holds just enjoy the moment I think people just are so worried about the future sometimes it's just what why you can't actually see it you really can't you've got to and and also I think sorry I'm blabbing on that but you know it's just like don't put too many limitations in front of them you know like because they're going to have to go and move them when they're older with a coach or something do you know what I mean they just try and let it flow I think we've all got to try and relax into this somehow haven't we yeah yeah yeah, that concept of flow is really, really important. And just, yeah, letting them flourish to be the people they were meant to be rather than the system or what we think they should be. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So you're like at home with everybody at the moment, um, you know, and you're doing a few things, aren't you, to make it easier for you and your family and your pets. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're talking about me. Yeah, talking yeah. about you, yeah. There's one right there. Yeah, yeah. Our pets are our delight. Yeah, we're just endlessly fascinated by their behaviour and their interactions and their dynamics. So we've got a cockapoo, honey, who's the... Um, She's the boss of the house. And then we've got uh, Claude, sorry, uh, Truffle, who is a Burmese, who we brought home on the same day, hoping that she'd be, they'd be good sisters, but they don't get on. Then we've got Claude, who is Lily's 18th birthday present, who is the little, uh, the little Burmese, hoping that he would snog up to Truffle, but now they just, he worships Truffle, but Truffle doesn't feel the same way. So anyway, oh. so we're always looking for different kind of, oh, they're in the same basket. Oh, they're touching noses. Oh. <laughs> So that's cute. <laughs> um, just also kind of, you know, like who, because, you know, I'm fascinated by you. I've, I've spoken to you a few months ago. I had an interview with you um, for a paper talking about my son and stuff. Um, and I absolutely love what you write about, you know, and also all the books that you've done as well. What, how many books have you written? Because you've written a lot, haven't you? Oh, God, I actually lose count. I think I'm on 13 now. Gosh. Wow. Yeah, yeah, written a lot. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, I write about what I need to learn. So, you know, when when I realised the school system, I wrote Taking the Tame of the Tiger Parent, when um, there was a lot of uh, my girls were getting older, I learned, I, I wrote about early adultification of girls in um, uh, Girls Uninterrupted, how to, to steps for building stronger girls in a challenging world, because I became aware of the kind of the pressures that were interrupting their natural development um then I wrote The Friendship Maze because I was I could see that like panic about children's relationships was a massive concern to parents and that parents Mm -hmm. were really having trouble seeing their way through that Mm -hmm. so um and then yeah so I basically I I I try and take what's a real issue at the time and then try and apply the science and the research and the psychology and I mean what I do is I communicate so I bring all this stuff together and then I kind of I compress it in a way that is really immediately accessible for parents. Because otherwise, you know, I mean, I, I think I said when I filled in the, the, that thing for you, it's just like kind of, well, I remember when Lily was um, a young baby, there was just like, I just found the the parenting books was just so patronizing. And they were like, oh, don't don't bother your silly little heads about that and all the rest of it. And I was like, <laughs> you know, and I wanted to learn about her development, but there was nothing but textbooks. But so what I, I just want to bring the science for, for parents to be able to use and apply and, 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 you know, it's not my opinion. My opinion isn't that important. It's but basically it's what, you know, I really believe in, in the kind of the mass intelligence of the human race. It's just like compressing all that wisdom in a way that they can use that, that parents can use it in the moment when they need it most. Yeah, it's interesting that those were your issues, because as you're saying there, speaking of those issues, I think, oh God, I need to read that. And I need to read that. Those kinds of things really come up. 
mm. and just the little nuggets that you gave away in the in the uh, in the biog that you gave us when you said you know we as parents can take things so personally especially when it comes to kids relationships and so on and I just think it's so interesting that you know we put too much of ourselves sometimes into our yeah. kids lives um, and our own feelings and you know some parents are so quick to come to you and say oh the girls have been uh, had, a, had an argument about this or that uh, oh, yeah, and, you, totally. and we don't need to be involved in that way so yeah. I'd definitely be um, looking up some of those books that you've written um, it's but, on the friendship thing yeah I mean it's just like we've become involved in those relationships much too yeah. and it often doesn't end well so we're much better actually teaching or learning or knowing ourselves how children naturally form themselves into hierarchies and that conflict is actually a learning experience. It's an, it's an inevitable, it's, whenever humans get together, there's conflict. Do you know what I mean? But then unfortunately what we've done is we've weaponized this word bullying. So we're throwing bullying all over the, over, over the show. Yeah. It's not actually really not helping because bullying is actually, it is very strictly defined as it is the deliberate continued um, aggression or social cruelty of a more strong peer towards a less strong peer so if you've got yeah. two best friends who are falling out and they're both saying stuff to each other that that doesn't mean just because one's got the upper hand that day that it's bullying because they're both able to give as good as they've got but it, it's bullying is actually is a much rarer beast than we are led to believe but we, we keep throwing that word around too much I'd say and it's yeah. just well it really isn't I often think with some parents, though, they've got nothing else to do sometimes. So they yeah, get really they badly involved in it. And you're just like, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. And now you've made it massive. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. that's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're also trying to form their own social hierarchies, aren't they? Because, you know, I think what's happened is that social connection, social capital, that's become more important than it was, say, during my child, my childhood. And it's like we've got this idea because it's such a competitive world. It's like who, you know, you know, I've seen it in schools where, you know, if there are celebrity mothers there, then there's a certain group that will try and suck up to those parents, you know, so everyone's yeah. trying to do their own thing. But, you know, when you're starting to use your children to kind of be deliberately best friend with, you know, the celebrity chef's daughter, <laughs> this is just not good for anyone. And it's, it's not a great example to be showing your child either. So no. yeah, can we just like take our egos, take our own stuff away from this and actually mm -hmm. just let kids get on with it a little bit more than we are at the moment. Mm -hmm. But this comes back to this panic, isn't it? It's like, we're so panicked about the future, you know, what's going to happen, the economy, jobs, you know, it's harder to do this, it's harder to do this. You know, it's just like kind of this competitive world we're in and it just makes it may, it means that we we often lose perspective much more than we would have done say you know if, you know i'm not saying parent parenting was was perfect in the 60s and 70s it wasn't but you know i think we allowed children to develop more at their own pace even if we didn't necessarily understand what was happening just leaving them leaving them to their own devices was actually probably healthier in many ways yeah yeah no absolutely i i agree with you and it is kind of i think it was also as well with with all of it going on parents can just overwhelm each other with all this yeah. competitiveness and ridiculousness yeah. and then you feel like oh you know and then you start kind of beating yourself up and then you start taking out on the kids when you don't really need to it yeah, just, everything just leads to a really toxic road and i just think you know we just need to stop still and just be mindful that we're we're just not bothered about there is no one to keep up with that isn't real you know let's just get on well, with it and make sure contagious, isn't it I mean that yeah. is highly contagious I mean you know if it's something's being said on the school gate then it's like oh well I should be doing that you know why aren't I doing that and if somebody else's kid's doing well and yours isn't you're like oh what what am I not doing the best for my child it's basically we've become far too invested. I mean, this goes back to Freud, where basically it was like kind of, you know, this idea that their childhood was solely responsible for the making of this child. Now it is in some ways, but not in the ways that we're interpreting it. Do you sort of mean? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, well, I think to be fair, um, I've got a lot of this conversation today, um, you know, yeah. and I, I, you know, there's some ticks in my boxes, but there's also a few things that I could actually work on myself. And I think the same goes for most people who are kind of listening to it. I think, you know, this generation of parents, we have managed to fall into a few traps. We do have to pull ourselves out of them. And actually part of that and part of being in lockdown, it is just like, just take a look at the moment. We, we, there's some things that are just not that important right now. You know, like um, my, my biggest takeaway from this conversation today is the whole thing, what you were saying, Liberty, that you'd pick up um you know about the arguments just about the fight they're, they're not just you know there's don't retaliate on them there's just, there's absolutely no mm. point let them let them grow in the way that they need to find their independence 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And listen, and you know, spend some time listening to them without interruption, without suggestions. You know, that's really hard as a parent. You know, when your child is expressing something painful and you want to kind of fix it and you want to say, "Well, do this, do that," but actually, that doesn't help. You know, I, I think, think you almost that... need to secretly whisper to yourself, don't you? Don't yeah. take it personally. It's not about yeah. you. <laughs> you know, like just get in, make your cup of tea, sip, you sip your tea as you're saying it. You know, don't take yeah. it personally. And just you, nod. If you see the biggest picture of their development, you'll just see it's all moving in the, in the direction it's supposed to be. It's not a personal affront to you. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Um, Tana, thank you so much for um, coming on and talking to us and. Actually, I, I really think it's been, it's definitely been super helpful to me, you know, like I yeah. will definitely be thinking about all of this stuff. And I know that with the people who've written in, it's it's good for them as well. What is your latest book? Where can we find you and all the bits about you? All right. So, uh, well, my latest book was, is What's My Teenager Thinking? And then mm. before that, there was What's My Child Thinking, which was for uh, parents of two to seven-year-olds. And then the other book, main book I've got out at the moment is The Friendship Mage, which is how to help your child navigate their way to happier, more positive um, friendships or relationships. So. <laughs> and do you have a website or social handles? Uh, yeah, so my Instagram is just, luckily I've got an unusual name. So if you just put at Tanith Carey, that comes up. My Twitter that comes up, my Instagram. And then on Facebook, I'm uh, What Parents Need Now. Perfect. So I'll post all my latest articles because I mean, as I say, I'm trying to move as different issues come up. I'm bringing the science to them. I'm sharing real solutions. I'm talking to the top experts. So I'm just I'm out there for you parents to communicate the best that's the best advice out there that's science based. You know what I mean? So you can use it. And I'm I'm constantly doing that via the Telegraph. I mean, all different papers, uh, the Mail, the Sun. You know, that's what I that's what I do. Do you know what I mean? So just I'm a communicator. Yeah, and actually one thing I do love about you as a journalist that you do is that I remember when I did a story with you and I was I was like, oh no, I, um, I'm getting some bad comments so I don't want to go and do the next bit. But actually you were like, you're going to get those because yeah. you're standing your ground. And what you yeah, do is you definitely stand your ground with this. You were great. You were brave and fantastic. And I really think that that feature helps a lot of people because it was a, something a lot of people are going through but haven't really been discussed, you know. So that was a great piece, you know. But, you know, I mean, they're all commenters. will always, they'll always bring their own, you know, give them a slap. You know, <laughs> our problem with this generation is those parents shouldn't give them a slap. No, it's not realistic stuff. It's just, it's more expression of their ego, those comments, than it is anything to do with you, you know. And I mean, also yeah. they don't want to hear somebody admit what they're probably doing as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to read comments, but don't. It's not worth it. Same, same with your same with your teenager, teenager. You know, it's like don't take it personally. It's nothing. It's not actually to do with you. Do <laughs> I think I'm going to say that to him next time. I'm not going to take this personally. It's nothing to do with me. <laughs> He'll be like, "What are you talking about, Mum?" Yeah, thank you so much for um, coming on. And I know that people will. Um, uh, definitely try and find you i'm going to get a link actually for everybody put it on the podcast link so that they can get a link to your book um thank you again for giving us your time today it's been really really helpful thank, thank you tana no, no problem bye bye, bye. bye.